Welcome to the Bomb Squad podcast. This is Ethan. Hey, I'm Ted Richard Kraft. I'm Austin Zwiebelman. I'm Tim M. Sullivan. And this week's subject is the 1985 anime OVA, Megazone 23 Part 1. Gotcha. It's Megazone 2-3. Only idiots call it 23. Um, and um, this is an interesting one. This is very much my sort of bag. As usual, I get to be sort of the anime guy, the other anime guy who only does anime things because um, I want to be smart on them, um, as opposed to Tim, who's just more open to other experiences. He uh, broke into my home. He played this movie. He tied me to the chair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, I had to do that to Tanner. It was great. He kept rewinding and explaining things that made me more confused. OK, that that's maybe not my finest moment, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way. I know a lot about this movie. Um, obviously, you know, I've, I've been watching it since I was um, not right after I was in middle school, I guess, right after I graduated the eighth grade, I want to say. I think this is this is like your first guy's viewing of the film, right? Mm. Yes. Yes. So I'm curious, you know, starting with Tanner, what did you know about the film going in? Uh, I knew you liked it. Is that it? Yeah, I, I think you told me other stuff. I'm going to be honest. I, I I forget stuff easily. I think you told me stuff and I forgot all of it. That's fair. <laughs> um, I, I say a lot of things. It's not like I'm not listening. I am listening. I just have bad memories sometimes. No, no, you're good. Especially about things where I have like little to any like reference point. Of course. Which is really the case for a lot of anime. I'm finally on an anime podcast, guys. Ethan threatened to kill me if I didn't come on. Um, we got him. We've done it. You you actually just, you forced yourself in here. You Well, you didn't force <laughs> yourself in here, but yeah, I was surprised when you volunteered. Okay, so Austin, where did you come in? I'm a big fan of OVAs, and I really like the art style and usually uh, their content. I got to Google it and see that its plot was um, a, a sort of plot that was reflected in some movies I really liked going forward. And um, I, I really a fan of anime from the 80s because it tends to be violent, sexual, very cerebral plots, violent. And uh, so going in, I was I was sort of expecting uh, I, I was I was expecting a dense sort of uh, philosophy plot. And I just wanted to see how far they would take the concept, considering that it was an hour, 20 minute anime. And uh, I was pretty satisfied. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you had some level of expectation with with older sort of OVAs, because it can be a big zone two threes sort of like it's weird. It's a lot. And yet it's very easy to get at the same time in a weird way. There's something very primal about a lot of it, but also there's a lot going on. It's it's a complex plot executed in a very uh, simple, straightforward fashion. Yeah. It's the, the anti-Nolan, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> the anti-Nolan. There we go. <laughs> or I guess the anti-Wachowskis, uh, as, some, as some people say. Uh, I, I disagree with them, but okay. They're dummies. Speed Racer's a masterpiece. All right, Tim, what's up? So, uh, like they had said, uh, I hadn't seen this before. I feel like I may have heard the name before at some mm-hmm. point. Like you had mentioned, I watch a fair bit of anime myself, and I do like OVAs, and this was definitely the kind of thing that I can imagine was on the shelves of blockbusters in the 90s. Just that kind of uh, violent, sexual, just don't let the kids watch this one kind of thing. Adults only. That's right. Uh, super serious edgy cartoons only. Uh, love that shit. It was stylistically, I guess, about what I was expecting. And I I, I liked how it, it kind of fit into like what I like from like uh, Akira had like the bike stuff in that. And then it had like mech stuff kind of had Pat Labor vibes a little bit. Um uh, mm-hmm. Kind of big O vibes, too, in a way. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of that. Season two stuff, especially. So, yeah, I I had not seen this before. I started watching the Streamline dub last night, but I had just uh, worked a six-hour wedding video shoot, and I underestimated how tired I would be after that. Uh, So I, I started falling asleep about halfway through. And then I just decided to watch the rest of it in the morning. And then right before the podcast, I said, uh, rewatch it subbed. And I, w- I would say 
the streamlined dub was pretty it was pretty enjoyable out of the few streamlined dubs i've watched i would say this might be one of the better ones that i've seen i I really enjoy the vampire hunter d dub because it's just hilarious to me but this this one was like genuinely not a terrible dub yeah, yeah, I think it's it's certainly one of Streamline's yeah. better offerings. Um, uh, Bob Bergen, who only did a few roles, um, he he played their Lupin um, for all their stuff, mm, and he does a really great nice. great job. Um, Iona Morris as um, as Eve, and she always does great great work. Um, Eddie Eddie Meerman's uh, Tomomi is probably my favorite. She's very loud <laughs> in that performance, just like me. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> just like you. And she's a film person, so that works. Yo, it's anime Tanner, Taname. <laughs> From where I'm coming from, I've seen this movie a million times. Um, I backed the um, Kickstarter, actually, for the recent Blu-ray release. He's in the Blu-ray. He's in the Blu-ray. We found that. Yeah, my name apparently was included in it um, as one of the the patrons. It's just on, like, if you go to a special backer screen, it's not one of the ones that loads when you boot it up because that one costs like $500. And I just wanted the nice set with everything. But you you helped. Exactly. I, I helped fund this thing that got funded immediately um, before I ever chipped in any amount of money. But I did help. There we go. Booyah. I've been a fan of this film for, well, yeah, basically, again, since I was in like middle school um, and I learned about it from Robotech because I was a big Robotech fan. And then there's like Robotech the movie and it wasn't really widely available. And I, I watched a little bit and I'm like, this is bad. This is not good at all. <laughs> Because of a lot of pr- weird production issues with that, with the dubbing of that and the translation. But um, I w- actually sought out a copy of Megazone 2-3, the, the complete set. And that was one of the first anime DVDs I ever bought for myself um, when I was first starting my collection, the old ADV release. So I, I wasn't privy to the Streamline dub until a little while later, despite um, my current love of Streamline Pictures dubs. Um, I remember um, when I first got that set in, um, it was graduation day, I think. Like it was the final, the very final day of school for either eighth grade or seventh grade. I got it, and then my dad rolls up and he's like, "Hey, want to go see the Avengers?" And I'm so excited to pop in this anime, but I'm like, "Oh, I mean, it's an opportunity to go to the theater to see a movie, and it looks like an all right movie." So I'm like, "Yeah, I guess I'll go see the Avengers." Choose um, your next words carefully. And the Avengers was fun. Um, you know, it's still a yeah. good movie. We got him. Ethan's dad was actually Tanner. It was me, Ethan. It's me, your dad. Oh, no, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Kicks me from call. And then, you know, then I got home that night and watched it and I sort of instantly fell in love. There's a lot to like about the film. And for those of you not in the know who don't know a thing about Megazone 2-3, the basic gist of it is it's about this young punk, this motorcyclist, um, Shogo Yahagi. Three girls, uh, his love interest, Yui, a filmmaker named uh, Tomomi, and um, Mai. Uh, And then there's a pop idol named Eve, and there's a military guy named BD. Those are your main players. And it's all about Shogo is given this uh, experimental motorbike that leads him on this long and winding road to a conspiracy where it's revealed that he doesn't live in 1980s Tokyo like he thought all along. He actually lives in a spaceship 500 years in the future, um, and they're being tricked into thinking that it is um, the it is 1980s Tokyo for all that time. I wonder if the Wachowskis. I don't think they did. I think that I'm not going to lie. I think Matt Greenfield made that one up to try and sell more copies of Megazone 2, 3, because he <laughs> would do that sometimes. Um, so he gets this motorbike that also turns into robot because it's the future um, and it's a really cool robot. I mean, it's all it's a lot of stuff going on in urban scapes. And eventually he tries to take on the evil, the villainous government as they enact a coup to um, take over the uh, ship's computer because the ship's computer was originally designed to keep everyone docile. The um, government of this simulation um, the simulated 1980s Tokyo catches wind of the fact that they are in a simulation and realize that they're about to intercept with another colony ship that they don't realize is a colony ship. They think it's a bunch of aliens and they think that war is on the way. So they're trying to shut down the computer system, Eve, a.k.a. the pop idol Eve, so that they can start doing military construction and use Eve as a weapon against the invaders 
And so it's up to Shogo and Eve to stop the government. Um, and Shogo fails, as we learn in the ending. He, he walks off into the sunset. He loses. And we'll get into that, our thoughts on that, because I think it's an interesting topic. But that's the gist of it. Other than that, it's just the day-to-day of him dealing with his life falling apart and everything he knows being a lie. And also, he's he meets a girl that he thinks is cute, and they have a relationship that's much better in the sequel. Um, it's a little a little misogynistic right now. A little bit. Um, just a bit. But uh, yeah, that's the very rough gist of the plot. Um, I'm sure most of the people here have seen the film. And if not, you should rectify that. I highly recommend. It's a fun film. But I'm curious. I second Ethan's recommendation. Thank you, Tanner. Very cool. And speaking of Tanner, what were your thoughts on the film overall? So when I've I've watched this film twice, Uh, once when you came over and then I watched it again this morning dubbed so I could uh, actually watch it instead of trying to have a conversation with you while watching it. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. on me, not on you. My first time watching it, I was more, I thought it was good. Uh, Just good. I thought the plot seemed a little, I, I just thought it was good. It didn't really stand out in my mind. When I watched it again this morning, yo, this shit's fucking incredible. Holy shit, this shit fucking rules. It rules. I loved it. Oh, I, I, I being able to just properly watch it without like. Without an Ethan annoying you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Not annoying me. It, I, I appreciated that for my first experience because I think you helping explaining things allowed my second time watching it to be more enjoyable. Now, I, I know there were two dubs of the movie I watched. Did Monica Real say you got the scoop, we got the poop? If you've got the scoop, give us the poop via the Vision Phone system. Uh, yes. Oh, no, you watched the eight. Did you? Did it sound like the blonde man from Full Metal Alchemist did a Damn speak? It. I tried to avoid that one. We, we, we have a content warning for the ADB dub. This features Vic McDurpeter. Yeah, Vic Mignana. Damn it, I was trying to avoid that. N- notorious creepazoid and weirdo who got himself kicked out of the anime industry for being a colossal dipshit. Um, good for him. We're very proud of our favorite idiot. I thought I was your favorite idiot. Well, that that was an ironic favorite idiot. You're my actual favorite idiot. Yeah, no, Vic Mignogna's a garbage person who plays Shogo Yahagi in this dub, which if you, which is kind of apt in a way. He's kind uh, of a, he, he slaps woman. He slaps woman. He says, "Hey, how dare yeah. you almost get raped?" Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. Shogo's a bit of a creep. Um. A bit of an asshole, but you go go gonna go into my plots of the movie again. I really loved it, and I made the joke earlier with the Matrix. I don't I don't think that's the movie I would compare it to in hindsight. Mm-hmm. I think because it specifically focuses on Shogo's experience and his him dealing with his life falling apart as he discovers his life is a lie. It actually reminded me more of one of my favorite movies of all time, The, the Truman, Truman Show. Show. Yeah. Am I not the first person to say that? No, I just saw that coming when you started up this. Yeah, I, as, as I was watching it, I knew Tanner was going to talk about Truman Show. <laughs> really? That's good. No, but it reminds me more of the Truman Show, specifically how it's only this one area. So unlike the mm-hmm. Matrix, it's not the whole world. It's just this It's just this part. It's Tokyo, right? Yeah, it's just Tokyo. It's just Tokyo. And they use hypnosis to make you think you're going to other places, but it's all a lie. And how it specifically shows a Shogo and his fallout from discovering his life is a lie. Especially the way that things are orchestrated once they realize he has the motorcycle and stuff like that. It's much more reminiscent of the Truman Show than it is of the Matrix. Now, I still think that's a bit of a, not an app of perfect comparison, but I think it makes more sense than the Matrix. I love movies of guys realizing their life's a lie. Because when I was 15, I found out that my life was a TV show. And ever since then, you you guys are actors. Don't worry, you don't have to tell me. Um <laughs> I'm incredibly vain. No. Um, it's true. He is incredibly vain. What I really loved in the movie was the um, action scenes. I thought they were incredibly well animated. I thought they were really fun. The sound design of the action scenes, I actually wanted to specifically touch on the sound design of those scenes, I thought was incredible. It felt like every sound effect was mixed perfectly, was used perfectly, was just the right amount of, you know? very engaging. It's some of the most engaging action I've seen from an animated property. It, it really sucks you in, especially with the way, again, the way the character's talking. BD. BD's a great villain. Fucking love BD. Great villain. Absolute gangster. 
I love Blu-ray discs. <laughs> but I, that's, I guess, a brief overall thing. I, I loved it, especially the second time I watched it. And I was really able to just get absorbed with the characters and the setting. I loved it. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. <laughs> it's a really fun movie. And I'm glad you liked it so much on your second viewing. Uh, thoughts from Austin? I uh, did the uh, slightest bit of research before going into this to the point where you figured out that this was supposed to be a television show. And then because of uh, cancellation of a toy line and uh, a TV station backing out, it then became this thing that I guess I'll describe as a compilation movie. It's all of the stuff that they'd animated thus far, uh, sort of condensing those episodes into a film. And I actually really love the pacing of it because when you see that a movie is about an hour and 20 minutes, you think this is going to whiz right by because you watch 90 minute features all the time. And some of them just blink and you miss it. And this one felt like a few movies all crammed into one. Every 20 minutes or so, I'd pause it to go get a drink or something, and I'd be, like, staring at the time bar and just completely in awe at how much had happened. The pacing of it was really exhilarating, and you could think that this could sort of fall apart because of how it was produced, but I think it works very strongly. Although, I would say that you should warn people of that, because otherwise, it might make the movie a little bit confusing, disorienting, if they don't know that this was supposed to be a TV show that got squished together. Like Tanner, I thought the action really is what this film excelled at. Uh, the cerebral plot cannot go uh, without mentioning because um, one almost wants to assume that this inspired a whole bunch of things. Uh, sort of like how when people are comparing totalitarian societies, whether it's Brave New World or 1984, you have your pick of about four things to compare this to. And mine is Dark City for the very superficial reason, just because they find out that outside of where they're staying, it's just the vacuum of space, which is always something I associate with Dark City. I found the conclusion to be very disquieting. There were a few scenes that felt like they had no place being in the movie, but it didn't do too much for me. And the ending was really the most distracting part of my viewing experience because I don't know why. Maybe I'm unfamiliar with OVAs or just the precedent of animes doing this, but the ending left me very unsettled. Quick uh, funny story about the... Um ending is tanner i think like five minutes before it was over uh he said roll credits because he was expecting that shogo would go fight the bad guy and then it's like this is as he's leaving the wrecked garland uh bahamuto and and then the credits actually started rolling he's like what no no (laughs) go back Um, go back i was joking but there is an ending, sort of, kind of. I mean, aside from part two, which is the actual conclusion, but there is an ending of sorts, which we can also talk about later. Yeah, after Tim. It's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I kind of said uh, a brief summary of my feelings, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it was it was what I is what I look for in uh, that kind of OVA, and like they said, I think there was a lot to the story. And I think that held it together more so than a lot of other OVAs of the time. Yeah, it, it, it it's a lot of fun, a lot of great action, some really awesome cyberpunk aesthetics. Like, I, I love I love that shit where you just see like the core with all this like metal and tubes. I love stuff like that. It's so good. It, it had a lot for me to enjoy. And I look forward to watching the sequels uh, at some point when I get a chance. Yeah, part two is good. It's fun. Um, no, no, here's the thing with part three. Ethan Ethan told me about the sequels after we were finished watching, and he said part two, he had a lot of nice things to say about part two aside from the radically different art style. When he talked about part three, he started off with, this is shit, I hate it. And then he like talked himself into saying, it's all right. Without me saying anything, I was just looking at him as he built up to this opinion. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, like, I started off thinking of a really particularly bad sequence of animation and the fact that there's an arcade game featured prominently in it called Hard On um, and how funny that is. (laughs) It's cinema. Oh, that's that's beautiful. Isn't it just an Akira knockoff? (laughs) Ah, Yamato! Kurira! 
it, it borrows a lot from Akira. It's very cyberpunk Oof. sort of thing. And the main character is a big hard-on player. He talks about how great he is at hard-on all the time. He has a hard-on for hard-on. Oh, I got a big hard-on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm a child, so I find that very funny. Part, part two is also a lot of fun, um, I'd say. And um, sort of addressing some of the points, um, particularly well, starting with the animation that uh, Tanner and uh, Austin both mentioned prominently Um this is largely the work of Ichiro Itano, the man who sort of invented, um, he, he really revolutionized mecha animation because he started doing a lot of stuff on Mobile Suit Gundam, the original series, and uh, Yoshiyuki Tamino's um, 1981 series, Space Runaway Ideon, where he sort of made a prototype of what he's most famous for, which is the Itano Circus, which is um, when, you know, uh, very elaborately choreographed missiles um, with their their trails of smoke, um, sort of like like a dance ostensibly of missiles. Um, and in Ideon, he sort of first developed that, but it really became a thing in um, the Super Dimension Fortress Macross. And you see a few of you see a little bit of that, particularly in the space battles here. But instead of getting a lot of those, you get a lot of really great stuff where they're smashing through buildings and you see smoke and debris. God, I feel terrible for the poor guy who just had draw variations, like so much, like every individual piece of glass and then every individual piece of glass again. There was a point where he's being chased on the garland and I believe he uses debris from the road in order to sort of speed racer away the people chasing him. Yeah, it looked cool. Yeah, yeah. When um, they're they're chasing him on the highway, and he grinds the the side, and th- that's just how how strong. Um, we'll we'll use the motor motorcycle is is a Garland unit, um, but the particular one is called Bahamut Five. So we'll just use those interchangeably, just so the listener knows. We will um, we'll call it either the Bahamut Garland. They're the same thing. So, or Modat Five. If I get to talk about Robotech, the untold story. Oh, terrific! Why? What is it? The Modat Five. It's a mobile database terminal. I won't. I promise. But another animator worked on this of some significance. Well, actually, a lot of animators of significance worked on this. But um, of particular significance is um, a young Hideaki Anno, who would later go on to direct a handful of things, including Nadia, The Secret of Blue Water um, and Neon Genesis Evangelion. And, you know, he's he's actually a, an excellent mechanical animator. So I would imagine some of his there's a lot of really great cuts that are that belong to him. Because he, he was also, he got this job because he was an alum on um, on Macross. He worked on the Super Dimension Fortress Macross. There's actually a, a brief cut of animation where you can see the Daikon girl in Macross, um, which is very cute. The series was originally going to be called Omega City 2-3 um, or Omega City 23, because um, which is based on how Tokyo is, deci- is divided into uh, 23 wards, if I recall. And the idea was it was like a post-apocalypse so- story. And this city was the last city on Earth. And that eventually evolved into the Megazone concept. Um, you know, eventually it was going to be called Omegazone 2-3 um, when they moved it into space. And uh, finally, they um, had to drop the O for copyright reasons. So it just became Megazone 2-3. Wait, what copyright? Who, who owned the letter O? Oreos? Oprah. No, no, the name like Omega Zone. Um, I, I believe it might have been something to do with like Omega Man or something or just just worries about um, copyright in general. I can't remember the specific reasoning off the top of my head. You know what? Let's blame Disney. Let us blame Disney. Yeah. And it was originally, um, very, very originally, it was going to be a sequel to the anime Genesis Claimer Mospira, which was um, the third saga of the hit science fiction space opera, Robotech. Get, shut up! <laughs> I can't help it. But um, no, what they ended up doing with adapting this was they they took the same track that they did with a previous series effort that got reduced to a um, feature film called Technopolice 21C, which was sort of a, a precursor to another um, other other later projects. But um, Mosbita was the genesis of this one because motorbikes, that was the thing that Mosbita had. It had motorcycles that turned into robot armor. So they were kind of continuing off that concept, but eventually it became its own thing. And then obviously they lost their funding and had to compress it into a feature film um, with higher, generally higher quality animation they could get away with, but not quite feature film quality animation. And I'll be very brief on my thoughts since I used up most of my time to just talk about production history junk. Um, but I love this movie um, in case that isn't obvious. I think the um, the mechanical animation. Oh, you hated it. No, I hated watching it with you because I was with you. No, I'm kidding. You're a delight. The entire time I was like, what just happened? And then I missed when he turned into a robot the first time. I just didn't process it. 
And then I paused it for the 10th time to try and spot anime characters I recognized in the background. Or you rewinded it and you're like, here, look, there's a thing. Yeah, don't you know um, the characters from Heavy Metal Elgheim making a cameo here? Everybody knows Heavy Metal Elgheim, God. Uh, and I would just sit there and stare at you like, huh? Yeah, no, I love this film. It's um really gorgeous, well animated, a lot of fun. I like the fun science fiction plot. I love the internal stuff. There's a lot of animation going on like within a city that I love Um, because you didn't get much of that in mecha animation before. You got super robot stuff where it's like they're big and they're flying over cities and maybe they'll knock over a building or something. But it's all it's all very ground level in cities. So you get a lot of debris and you get a lot of action. It's it's very clearly inspired um, by by a film you see in the opening of the film of all things Streets of Fire, which was uh, a bomb in the States, but huge in Japan. Absolutely massive. They adore Streets of Fire over there. And it inspired a lot of Japanese animation production um, of this, along with Blade Runner. The idea of, you know, shooting it all at night and everything or, you know, quote unquote, shooting it at night, um, which is why you get those long nighttime sequences and stuff in, in Megazone, sort of taking off that. And I think it's just really incredible and adds to this wonderful atmosphere of the film um, that makes it really distinct. Um, later OVAs will do that more. But before Megazone, you didn't really have that. You had very, very few scenes of combat within cities, even in real robot stuff like your Gundams or, or Macrosses which was really impressive. And I, I like the characters. I think they're a lot of fun. Um, I think the streamlined dub is really, really good. Shogo is a, not a great dude, but um, I, I'm rooting for him. I want him to get, I can fix him. <laughs> I can fix Shogo Yahagi. Yo, bro, wait, I can fix him. Yo, bro, yeah. hold on. Hold on. He won't be misogynistic to me. I'm not a woman. There you go. That's how you do it. <laughs> good Lord. Yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff that I love about this film. Um, the, the ending included even, but before I, I talk about my thoughts on the ending, I'm curious, um, Tanner, what did you think of the ending of the film? You were there when I watched it for the first time. I was, I think I explicitly told you, I didn't like that when I first watched it. My second time watching it, I still think it's my only problem with the movie. I, I think it ends honestly a bit too suddenly because it really feels like it's building up to something and then it just peters out. Mm -hmm. Um but it worked more for me the second time around. I, I think there's something powerful with the non-endingness of it all. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It, it, it's almost depressing. Mm -hmm. Like, your efforts are futile sort of thing, which I, I think if this was a different movie, it would work. But the movie up until this point is relatively... I mean, besides Divine, I, I guess someone gets their brains blown out a couple of times. But despite that, tonally, it, it feels upbeat. I don't know if that's just me being an idiot. But it feels more optimistic until the very end. So the ending doesn't quite land for me, but I, I understand what they were going for. And what they were going for was we ran out of money. Uh <laughs> yeah. Ran out of money, couldn't you, you bastards? <laughs> I mean, artistically, I understand what they were going for. It just didn't quite land with me. But I can I, I respect it artistically, even if it didn't work for me. Yeah, no, that's fair. I get what you mean. Austin? It's almost one of those things that works badly as entertainment and works better when you make it academic. Because with the benefit of hindsight about specifically that decade, the idea of the 80s being this sort of carefree paradise that is actually just a simulation driven by consumerism and distractions, ultimately hiding sort of military rule and puppet governments, actually seems very prescient, you know? <laughs> it... Uh, it, it, it was, uh, I think, against the tone of what we were shown throughout the movie. I agree with Tanner that it felt like it was building towards one last hurrah, one last push against the great forces. Although you learn to rationalize it as time goes on so as to not, you know, hate this movie because of all of the good that it offers. You know, the forces he were up against were so grandiose that how could he have possibly won and um, it does leave open room for more of these films, which hopefully we want. It left me very unsettled and dissatisfied, but um, I, I guess you can find ways to live with it. That's, again, fair. Um, I, I feel like I've, I've always had sort of a different feeling opinion on it, but um, I'll obviously leave that until Tim talks about his opinion, because I'm curious now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think they both have um, valid opinions I, I would say that i i kind of agree with that um I, I, the first time i watched it earlier this morning the ending just kind of washed over me and then when i was watching it again earlier uh I, I think i think it affected me more i think i had 
I, I, I took more away from it. And like Austin was saying, I think uh, I, th- that's a good point of it works more academically than entertainment wise. I think it's good in the way that it kind of is more of a downbeat ending. Like I, I, I love the Last Jedi, so I, I like things that are like that that are are not as optimistic, but are also kind of optimistic in a way. Like they present this idea of moving forward. I think it's interesting you tapped on that because I actually forgot that brought it up. Part of why it worked for me more the second time, I think, is because I. I get the five that Shogo, and it, it's partially helped because I watched the present for you short, which we'll talk about shortly. But I, I, I really get the vibe that Shogo's like, man, I lost the first time. I'm going to kick their asses this time. Is is definitely, it, it's because the last time you see his face, there's this look of just solid determination on it that I think helps sells the ending for me more the second time I watched it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like what you were saying, how it's kind of a downbeat, but there's just a hint of optimism there. Hmm. Yeah, um, I I personally like it, if only because I, I think it does, it, it tracked for me. Like, there's always a sense that Shogo struggles in his initial confrontations. And now that he's he's no longer facing a hamstrung government organization, they've, you know, there is a sense that they're, they're gaining ground as things go on, as he's sort of just kind of wasting time almost, or just, just caught, stuck in, just trapped in this sort of malaise, this total like like he's just frozen while they're doing everything they need to do they overthrow they completely dismantle eve all the security systems they're moving forward on developing military technology even in that relatively short span of time yeah now they're totally free of constraints and they can handle shogo as they will yeah there's no need for bahamut 5 or anything so when he he does roar in there is a sense like it's a it's satisfying in the sense that he he makes a dent in them it's not a total like they don't just completely pound him into the dirt um immediately anyways but then when he faces off against bd and bd's no longer messing around he no longer wants bahamut five needs to preserve it or anything keep it safe he's more than happy to just you know just destroy it he doesn't care anymore it's useless to him um as is shogo in this case but when he you see Shogo sort of crawl out of the wreckage and uh, Sabishikite Nimurai plays, uh, which is like, it is my favorite vocal song in the entire franchise. And I love like basically every track, um, score and vocal soundtrack. Um, I think Kumimi Asato is really good. And I'm a sucker for really fun like, pump up rock music with with strings, with violins specifically. And as it's flashing, like it's showing, it's not just him walking towards like determinedly into the sunset, which it was a big part of it, but it's also him thinking about all of his friends and what he's fighting for and uh, Yui specifically. I think that's good. I think that really, that helps kind of for as odd as the romance is in this film. I think that kind of, kind of pushes his, his own convictions towards Yui. Um, like, like gives a sense that he genuinely cares about her and he's, you know, worried like that's what's on his mind right now. Not just kicking BD's ass for the sake of kicking BD's ass. (laughs) It's that he, you know, like the whole reason he went here was because Tomomi is killed, is is brutally murdered. And now he's terrified that something like that could happen to Yui. That's the thing that pushes him to action, which I think helps a lot of, a lot of the issues on some level doesn't erase them mind you but it helps them and i think it's it's good but there is an ending there is an if if you want to get technical aside from megazone 2 3 part 2 um there is an ending which um is the present for you ending um which is animation created um as a uh, finale for robotech the movie um i'm not going to get into exactly what it was but basically they just wanted to give it a more conclusive finale and make up for the uh, lost runtime for when they would have to cut particularly the extended sex sequence from this film yeah i'm curious what you guys thought of present for you because i I always i like it personally but yeah i'm curious first time watching it i liked it i thought yeah this is the ending i wanted second time watching it because i also watched it again after the um watching it a second time because i thought because the fact that the film and the ending in, in general worked differently maybe present for you would work differently i still i don't know it's mm-hmm. too perfect everything goes too perfectly i don't really get the sense that shogo is struggling even a little bit you get your robot blown up there's more uh, you, you get stung by a soldier he can't aim 
Yeah. It feels just a, a bit too perfect. I wish Shogo had to struggle more, especially because I believe misogynists deserve to struggle. Uh, <laughs> uh, that explains so much about your life, Tanner. This is why I punish myself every morning. <laughs> 30 lashes. No, um, I just wish Shogo had to earn it more. He gets his happy ending where he embraces his love, and I'm just like, I, I don't get the sense he earned it. Like, yeah, his trials and tribulations throughout the movie, but what did he learn from his first failure? Nothing. He learned nothing. He learned he needs a better robot. Yeah, he learned he needed a better fucking robot, I guess. But beyond that, I I, I don't... I, I, it's just, I have two different endings I don't like now. I, I'm not a big fan of the original ending, and I don't think present for you works either. Where's the happy middle? Yeah, that's fair. Austin. I guess without going back in time and having them end the actual film a different way, it might always feel a little artificial, a la Travis Bickle's dream at the end of Taxi Driver or one of those fake endings the studio tacked on to Terry Gilliam's Brazil. I really liked Present for You, but I didn't quite... I wasn't able to mentally put it in with the rest of the film because even that opening subtitle, Present for Me... It made it feel like somebody just... You! It made it like somebody just singing me a very pleasant pop song. It was uh, it, it was fun to watch this simulation of him winning, but it didn't really feel like the conclusion of a movie where he actually broke out of a simulation. It feels like the dying DMT vision of somebody who really wanted to conquer all and might not have ultimately um as a piece of animation i was very thankful for it because part two does not look like part one so even if it is an ending storyline wise you don't really get to see this movie the way that it looks the way that it is same director and everything actually conclude with all of that still there so seeing all of that animation the same character style and having it give this last hurrah where the character and the love interest embrace it really did feel like a nice present, and I was happy to have seen it. I hope everybody gets to check it out if they're a fan of the movie. Yeah. Tim? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think those are, again, good points. Uh, yeah, I, I, it was fun to watch. It, it didn't really connect with me as, like, a ending to the movie, though. It just kind of felt like an extra thing, I guess. A present, if you will. Yeah, for you. For yeah, you. and I, I think part of it is also just the locale of where it happens. You know, the fact that it's happening on a, some random tarmac somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, that we haven't seen before. Because because the it was going to be heavily rewritten initially. The, the whole thing would have been a separate narrative. Like, there, it wouldn't have been about a simulation in space. It would have been about trying to keep the um, attack of, of the Zentradi on... Uh, Macross Island in Robotech, a secret. The, like the space stuff that was meant to be like a zero G simulation room and that. So as a conclusion to Megazone, of course it feels a little off. Um, it doesn't feel quite right, but it, as a conclusion to a um, a rewritten Robotech, the untold story. Yeah, but well, not the version we got because the version we got sucks and is bad. But the the original draft for Canon Films ruined it. Would have been good and interesting. And they would have been the stars of a 65 episode sequel series. Shogo and and uh, Yui and uh, Eve and BD. BD would have gotten a cool half mask. It would have been great. Uh, but we didn't get that. The Phantom of the Opera. Exactly. I'm not bitter. You're bitter. <laughs> but no, I, I like Present for You. I think the animation's fun. It's fun hearing some um, songs from the Image album the or the Four Spirits album that aren't included in any of the OVAs. And again, yeah, it is just a nice present. It's fun. Um, it's a good time. And uh, the new animation is very convincing, despite the fact it was done by the ostensibly, you know, Artmix B team as as fill-in. There were, weren't a lot of returning staff. It's it's very convincing, I think, overall. There, there are some times where they aren't quite on model or that sort of thing. But um, it's, again, very, very subtle. As someone without an eye for that, I'm actually surprised. 
Yeah, no, um, I know there's a story about Noboro Ishiguro, the director of the film. He was shown it at a con um, and he was apparently very drunk. Um, this was an American con, too. I think a Macross convention. He was very drunk at the time and he said, what the hell is this? I didn't get paid to make this. <laughs> um, <laughs> Where's my fucking money? Yeah. He just turned into Chris R. from the room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where's my money, Cannon? No, uh, I mean, in jest, presumably, or maybe not. He was, again, very drunk by all counts. That's the ideal way to watch it. No, I, uh, I think it's fun. I think it's a, it's a good time. And, and speaking of music, of that delightful Four Spirits album, let's talk about the characters. I messed that transition up. Let's talk about the characters, um, particularly Shogo Yuhagi. Shogo's misogynistic. Particularly Shogo Yahagi, but um, also the other characters, um, if, if they left, particularly I think the girls um, and BD are the big ones. But if any of the others, you know, Shogo's biker buddies or uh, Pops, the mechanic man whose name escapes me at the moment, all those guys are uh, the Tigerman. Cheetahman? Yeah, the Cheetahman. Um, no, uh, what, what are your opinions on the characters? I, I, there are three characters I, I, I thought stood out to me. Uh, Bulma, Bulma, and Bulma. No, kidding. Um, three characters in particular stood out to me. I thought uh, the main character, Shogo, obviously, specifically that happened to him. I don't like him as a person. I love him as a character. He's a, a very, uh, there's a lot of com- complexness packed into a simple package. A lot of duality to him. Because, you know, he ultimately seems like he wants to do the right thing, but he also does a lot of things for selfish reasons. But I get the sense that there's a heart of gold buried somewhere in there. And I think he's a very engaging character. And I think the performances of the original uh, subbed version I watched helped brought out a lot of that. I actually remember watching the uh, dubbed version. <laughs> Did you say Vic played him? Yeah, Vic Mignogna. Yeah, uh, I just got the sense that he was a douchebag in that version, so. Destroying Bahamut ought to piss him off. <laughs> Maybe it's because of my, just my mental reaction to hearing Vic Mignogna talk. I wanted to bring up BD. I think he is an amazing, like, I know he's not the villain, but he's kind of the villain. Is he the villain? He's the villain. He's the villain, yeah. And I think he's a really engaging antagonistic force, especially as a Shogo is messy, outrageous, impulsive, BD's calm, composed, careful, methodical, planning. They're yin and yang, and I think they're an incredible protagonistic and antagonistic forces diving into each other. Every fight they have, there's like, I think it's also brought out in the animation too, the way each one is animated and drawn. There's just a lot of, when they clash, there, there's just a lot how they're two opposites, but yet so perfect for each other as foes. Third character I want to bring up was the mechanic guy because he's old and he, and he fixes up the bike and he had, he had big dad energy. So, you know. Call him Pops. Yeah, Pops. He has big dad energy and that rules. If your movie has a dad, 10 out of 10. Mortal Kombat the movie, 10 out of 10. I like that Tanner didn't mention any of the women, which is very on brand. None of them stood out to me as particularly interesting. I don't think, honestly, I, I especially felt like that, Um, oh, what's her name? The the romance? Yui, Yui Takanaka. It, I honestly got the vibe that she existed for Shogo's development. Maybe that's unfair to the movie, but I never got much out of her. That's fair. Austin. Let's let's go in order of ascending complexity to talk about. I actually found BD to be um, a little bit derivative because it's a law in Japan that when you make an anime, the villain has to have a speech that we are similar, you and I. And um, that, you know, there could have been more room for him to be drawn. But um, I, I generally, you know, uh, like what he did for the plot, the Michael Corleone sort of montage of him taking over the world at the end was still very satisfying. Um, I liked uh, there was a little bit where Pops was kind of telling him to cool down in the beginning and he had a little heart mug. Very fun. Uh, then let's get up to the, the, the you know, the main ones. Um, you have the trio of girls who I thought were very funny from the perspective of someone who's hung around in the entertainment industry somewhat because you find an apartment with someone who wants to be on Broadway, someone's trying to be a backup singer, someone who's trying to be a director. It sounds like something that was much more popular in a city in the 80s, where you'd go into an apartment because, um, in my experience, when you find an apartment with three girls in it, the most they have in common is that they all chain smoke and watch Netflix. But then... In this one, they're all particularly making very, like, uh, successful strides to try to get to the top of the entertainment industry ladder. And it reminded me of something from the past, like how you'll hear about people in bands where roommates are all went to the same high school. It seems like 
kind of a relic of the times. And um, I thought that Yui uh, didn't have insanely much going for her because she just seemed to uh, react the way that she needed to. So Shogo could either struggle or not. I, I thought that Tomomi's enthusiasm for um, filming an independent film inside of a uh, upside down, right side up city supercomputer was uh, very, very fun. Um, and I thought that Mai actually had one of those parts that I mentioned earlier where it was put in there and doesn't fit in with the rest, specifically the part at the end with her parents calling. And uh, then we have the most important character, the one I have the most to say about. Shinji. No, uh, my apologies. The, the most important character to me was uh, Shogo, because uh, while the 80s, uh, I think in my appro uh, approximation of it, was a distant wasteland compared to current norms, it makes me wonder how Shogo's less moral behaviors were supposed to resonate with audiences at the time of this thing's release. But I think that the lack of control that he has over the film's conclusion seems to serve as some form of, like, karmic retribution because he's like a hothead and he's messy actually one of the through lines to this film is shogo's inability to respond to the plot's challenges with a consistent level of caution he fluctuates from being mindful and thinking ahead at some points to sometimes recklessly endangering people and even being nihilistic and hopeless at one point and it kind of feels like a product of the compilation movie, more so than a premeditated writing decision at times. I think it's a little bit of both. I think um, it, it may have been a bit of revision in, um, you know, part two where he is. He's made a bit cooler. He's a bit more understanding. There is a big sense in this film that he doesn't really want to or can't feel like he can rely on others. You know, he's, he calls his buddy buddies idiots all the time and ignores them or just says they're stupid and they don't know what's going on. Hey, that reminds me of you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a sense like like Shinji, he had some level of trust over, but, you know, Shinji's gone now. And so the only person he has kind of is, you know, Yui and Eve, maybe. And he loses Eve, um, this one sort of tether to um, uh, his understanding of what in God's name is going on. I, I don't think it was totally intentional, but I think that like in, in the grand narrative of it, um, th that probably was what they were leading towards. Like it would have cut with him sort of stumbling because there was a sense in uh, in part two i believe they did still reuse concepts from the omega's own sort of pitch that there is a sense that <laughs> it was going to be um sort of a growth moment him losing here but i, I do think yeah some of that certainly comes more up just as much from fo the format of the film as it does from anything else tim i'm curious your thoughts on the um uh, on the characters yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would say, yeah, Shogo, Shogo's a fun protagonist. He's just kind of a lovable asshole who uh, you, you can see that he he wants to do the right thing in this situation where he sees uh, behind the veil. Um, and I, I would agree with Austin's point about BD. He's kind of, a, I don't want to say generic, but he's, he's kind of a formulaic and i'm the weirdo here <laughs> he's, he's kind of a formulaic anime villain i guess i would say he's sort of an archetype and like they both said uh yui kind of felt like she was more just like meant to fuel shogo's development just kind of meant to be a piece of the story uh yeah tomomi was fun character uh Got got to love a filmmaker as a filmmaker. Real filmmaker's filmmaker, if you will. That was a lot of my attraction to the character as well. Huge personal bias. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as as an editor, seeing someone get their brains blown out while they have their footage playing out, I'm like, please. Relatable content. <laughs> I uh, when I uh, uh, I think it's interesting that both of you say BD feels like a formula. It's specifically anime villain and i think that's interesting because i don't know if you can tell from the the way i talk walk and just how i conduct myself as a person i don't watch a ton of anime uh most of the anime i do watch it's either stuff i found when i was a kid so basically dragon ball or it's stuff my friends bullied me into watching or for some reason i decided to start watching cells at work on netflix i don't know why anyway um <laughs> i don't watch a ton of anime so this seems to be a trope in anime is what you guys are saying I wonder if that's why the villain worked for me more, because I'm just not as exposed to this kind of content. It's it's the way you like the Mortal Kombat movie. What? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. 
I, I, that's all. I just wanted to tap into that specifically because I thought it was interesting how my opinion was so different from you two's. Ethan, I think go. Tim's frozen. Oh. Welcome back. Tim had to kill a man down in Miami, so we had some technical difficulties there. Ethan, you were saying? Okay, so um, I, I was saying basically with regards to characters, I think BD is in many ways sort of a stock character. Like um, he represents a lot of archetypes, but um, that, that were for fairly new for the time at the very least, at least within the realms of Japanese animation. Um, I, I think he's a fun character. I particularly just like his design. Um, I think he looks cool. Shogo's a lot of fun um, as a person I dislike. I think he's a bad person, but um, I think he, he can, like, he feels like a teenager in a lot of respects, like somebody who's late teens or early 20s um, in 80s Japan who doesn't have a lot of life prospects for him. You know, he works at McDonald's. He hangs out at a mechanic's office all the time. He doesn't seem to aspire to whole, a whole lot. And then he has all this shit foisted upon him, The fit, like his entire world being a lie, but, you know, more so than most people. All Before, that. all he had to do was shell the new Chicken McNugget. Yeah. And now he has to save the universe. Also, the new apple pie, because those were new menu items at McDonald's at the time. Tomomi, of course, I do like, um, not just because she's a film person, because I'm also a film person, but I'm also a cartoon boy. I think she's a lot of fun. I think particularly her uh, streamlined dub performance. Eddie Mearman plays her very loud. She shouts half of her lines, um, which is really good. Mai's fun. She's kind of a space cadet. And then they lean into that with like when she's watching the news and it's like, oh, a war broke out. But then the song comes back on. So time to smile. Go back to eating hot chip and lie. Don't forget, be bisexual and charge phone. Yeah, all, all the faves. Yui um, is there's not a lot to her. I think she's more of a character. She's more developed in part two, honestly. But she did give us that great the um, evergreen clip of a bunch of people in uh, those um leotards dancing that people can use for their city pop compilations so uh bless her for it which is it's also just a nice bit of animation honestly i think like the way the lights are used is really good um but i think she's very much more of a fun character eve is um not a whole lot of a character particularly in this entry but i, I like her design she was the only character designed by um macross character designer haruhiko mikimoto and it's a good design. Um, it stands out. There's a reason people really, really like the character, despite there not being a whole lot of her. Um, and I think she's interesting as a, as a computer program with clearly some level of sentience and how that's sort of projected. But because she isn't super characterized, there is so, sort of a weird alien quality to her or a weird otherness. You only see her through a screen and she never... There, there's none of that stuff in part two or part three where she has like inhuman conversations with anybody for through weird means. And I, I just think it's a fun cast. It's an interesting cast in its way. Like a lot of them aren't like super deep, but they're they're fun characters and they work really well for the story. And it's a, it's a very good ground to build a series upon or um, at least to a, a, a single sequel OVA, really, because the other one isn't much of one. And uh, the other couple points I wanted to talk about was um, I was curious, what did you guys think of the soundtrack and score? Um, the soundtrack uh, vocal tracks by Miyasato Kumi, who is the, also the voice of Eve and um, the score, which was done by uh, Sakisu Shiro, who or Shiro Sagasu, um, who did soundtrack to one of my favorite films, I City. You know it. You love it. It's I City. That movie nobody's ever seen has only been released in the States on tape. And um, I've seen iRobot. I hate you, Tanner. I hate you so much. I don't actually hate you. Um, you know, he, more importantly, he did the sound. He did a lot of collaborating with Hideaki Anno after this. He did the soundtracks for Evangelion and Nadia and Shin Godzilla as well. He's he's a very good soundtrack. Soundtrack boy. Shin Godzilla. Um, what did you think of soundtrack, Tanner? Uh, the soundtrack, I'm going to separate this into two separate things. Because I think soundtrack means something very different from score. Soundtrack, honestly whatever uh this has a lot to do with the fact of how i specifically usually interact with music and the kind of music i usually like it just didn't really connect with me especially on first viewing because again i was being an idiot and talking through half of it i'm surprised you didn't come over and kill me you should have just choked me and say shut up shut up but you know i i it's not bad it just doesn't stand out much in my mind. The score, on the other hand, I thought was spectacular. Very different from last week's Mortal Kombat uh, podcast. I thought the score in this movie was actively good. I thought it added a lot to the scenes. It was never too much. It was never too little. It was just the right amount. The right instruments in just the right places. I really thought it was a masterwork of score. It is one of the better um, scores I have seen in an animated movie, especially one from the... Um, from Japan? From Japan specifically. I, I, I thought it was good. 
I, I, I did enjoy it a lot. Uh, the score specifically, the soundtrack, whatever, take it or leave it. Score, great. I loved it. Cool beans, dog. All right, Mr. Zweebel. <laughs> what did you think? The, uh, the score I didn't notice too much in the capacity that I was sucked into the movie, so the score just felt like it was already complimenting a good thing. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Tim? I think it was just a pretty solid soundtrack, solid score, fun fun 80s music. Yeah, um, I admit, like, I, pr- I probably have some little bias just because this was, like, the soundtrack to my middle school slash high school years. I listened to it, like, on on loop um the vocal collection especially and then it was one of the things that sort of got me into more instrumental music so i I really it was the the soundtrack to a lot of robotech role-playing game campaigns with friends um sort of thing too i would put it on in the background and then i would crank up the volume too loud so we'd have to shout over each other and then people yell at us uh it was great (laughs) no um and it's really significant to me. I, I really love, again, the, the final song, I think, is what makes the ending of this movie work because I, I love that song so much um, and it just works perfectly for me. And with that, with Sabeshikute Nimurai, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that on our minds, as we walk off into the sunset, um, I'm wondering if you guys have any final thoughts on uh, Megazone 2-3 um, just sort of uh, to wrap things up. I uh, I think it's great. Honestly, if, if someone were to break in and say, Tanner, what are your top 30 animated movies of all time? I would imagine that Megazone 23 Part uh, 1 would find its way on that list. Like I said, I really do love it. My only issue with the movie is, again, the ending, but I don't want to let just... Uh, I don't want to let a final sour note at the last minute ruin the prior 120 minutes of excellence. On your top 30, would it be number 23? It is now. Oh, nice. I win. He'll find a way. There will be a way. I'm going to like retroactively. Ch- I'm going to like cut scenes from famous animated movies just to make the list work. Uh, uh, luggage scene from Toy Story Two gone. Now it's down the list. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I really did love the movie. The action again was spectacular. It's some of the best action I've ever seen in an animated movie. The character work. I, I really do love Shogo, and honestly, it just makes me wish I loved the other characters more. Um, but overall, it's definitely worth watching if you can find a copy of it. Uh, I want you to specifically watch the Robotech version on YouTube because it sucks. So I want you to specifically it watch does. that version so you think we're crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's a uh, good lord. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you guys you liked it certainly. But yeah, Austin, sorry, we'll go straight to you. Uh, one thing we've seen in recent years, thanks to Stranger Things, the guest uh, pieces of media, it seems that the 80s aesthetic is trying to uh, be revived, that we've been sort of drenched in it for the, uh, you know, 2010s and somewhat into the 2020s, and uh, with more of like a postmodernist revisionist bent. And so um, it's good to see something authentically from the mid 80s that also does subvert its own 80sness, rendering it kind of timeless. And uh, not only is it the source of OVAs, which are is some of the best that anime has to offer, but this is a very limited genre. Uh, as Wikipedia will tell you, you have The Matrix, Dark City, Existence, and fo- one other thing I, I don't fucking remember. Uh, so if you want to see something about people trapped in a computer so that you can bring it up when your Philosophy 1000 professor is explaining Plato's cave and you have an original thing to bring up... <laughs> then uh, I really recommend Megazone 2-3. Thank you, Austin. Very cool, but unironically this time. <laughs> oh. Just for you. Ethan, Ethan hates you, Austin. It was actually very cool. <laughs> I just I just say that a lot, because Tanner says silly things a lot. Tim, what were your thoughts? Final thoughts? I'm a silly boy. Uh, yeah, final thoughts. Uh, it was fun OVA movie. Um... It, it, there's a lot more to it than a lot of the other ones that I've seen. It it does the whole Truman Show thing, the whole Dark City thing. I think it's interesting in addition to just being a fun uh, mech romp. But it's also that. So you get both. Yeah, no, I'm really happy that I could share this film with you guys and that you guys took to it so well. Um, uh, I'm happy that you got to enjoy this wonderful score. It's always been a big part of my life or well, you know, since middle school, but that's basically always. Um, and it's a very 
sort of enjoyable science fiction film, uh, science fiction anime, really unique. And I'm really happy that you enjoyed it. I'm sure I'm, I'm rambling and repeating myself a lot, but it's because this is sort of a special thing for me um, that I, I don't get to share too, too often. So getting, being able to watch it and then talk about it um, with you guys and have, and with such earnest responses and as usual, a lot of really cool responses, very distinct reactions to this film. It's really great and really fun. And uh, I'm happy I could share it with you. Um, and our wonderful audience. Um, we could share your opinions on it as well. And the fact that I was able to convince people to watch anime again. I did it again. I don't know how. I really shouldn't be able to do this. The secret is, is that Ethan comes to my apartment. He has a shotgun and he says, put anime on the schedule, Tanner. And I say, please, please. I just want some corn dogs. He does love his corn dogs. Um, yeah, no. Uh, and, you know, thank you, viewers, for tuning in. We're always happy to share films and our views on them with you and speaking of films and sharing our views on them tune in next week for uh, the mission impossible podcast which should be the first time i talk about not anime on the podcast um mostly because i want to tell a funny story about a time tanner was extremely impolite to me um damn it <laughs> and also i like brian de palma i guess um <laughs> So tune in for that. It'll be a good time. Look forward to seeing you all there. And by seeing you, I mean not seeing you because you're the viewers, but whatever. You don't have okay. omniscient presence of them. I see them at all times. Omniscient. He still says it wrong every time. We were you know what? this twice and he said it twice. All right. Take easy. Bye-bye. See you guys next yeah. time.